1: You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show.
2: All right. Welcome in episode 53, BuzzBeat Radio. Uh, Plenty to cover today. And we've got our trusty soul, Richie Randall, uh, our fearless leader back. Um, He was with family last week. So he's back to help us out today, and I've said it before, he's really the brains uh, behind all of this, especially production-wise, how this thing works and, and why it's so well done. Uh, BuzzBee Radio, that is. Don't forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network, and don't forget to follow our friends over at SportsChannel8.com. A lot of ACC basketball these days heating up. It looks like Virginia's got it locked in for the regular season title, BG. Uh, but
1: eh,
2: maybe Duke will have something to say about that. We'll, we'll see. There's, there's yeah. a little bit of season left. Yeah. Uh, but, but make sure you're following at sports channel eight. That's at sports channel, the number eight on Twitter and then sportschannel 8.com Lots of great North Carolina sports coverage over there. Um, on that note, Richie, it's great to have you back, my friend. How you feeling this morning?
1: Doing good. Doing good. Uh, this, uh, work week was definitely rough though. Uh, I had some, uh, sleepless nights, uh, I might have drank a little bit too much on some nights. It was definitely a rough week for me. Uh but yeah, I'm back. I'm back. Uh last weekend, like you said, I was with family uh visiting uh down in Georgia. But it's good to be back. It feels like it's been too long.
2: It has definitely been too long. It's great to have you back. Uh Brian and I just basically stumbled all over ourselves last week and whatever that was that we <laughs> that we did for like an hour and twenty minutes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that was a good episode though. It was and- a good episode.
2: Yeah, it was good yeah. stuff. I, I told Brian earlier, like putting that together. I mean, I, I mean, if it would have been up to me, it wouldn't have worked. Brian's the reason it worked at all, but it was really the blind leading the blind. So we're happy <laughs> to uh,
3: we're happy to have you back, BG. What is happening? Not much, man. Uh, things are good. Like you said, it's been uh, middle of ACC basketball season, so stuff's pretty hectic. Uh, not covering any games this week with uh, with Duke out of town. And uh, yeah, no, just just nice to see the Hornets get a couple get a couple Ws this week, uh, including Friday night against the Pacers. But things are good, and also really good to have Richie back. Um, yeah, I don't, I it's I prefer to not be the producer here. So always good to have uh, r Squared back. Well, well, you
2: sound you sound really good, Brian. I can tell. You got a, a mic there. Yeah, he's got a mic, and now I'm the only one that has a poor sound quality. So I promise that all three of us will get on the same page <laughs> with like, how could we sound here eventually. But I'm still using my like 1995 headset or whatever it is. So you uh, look like
3: a you look like a gamer, like a like an <laughs> Xbox Live gamer from like 2009 or yeah. something like that. Actually,
2: yeah, when my video goes out and you guys can't see me, I, I'm actually playing Xbox in the background. That's <laughs> I, what I do during the episode. I could, could never get away from it. So
3: Yeah.
2: Um, all right, Richie, we're, we're, so we're going to try a little bit something different today. We're going to let Richie kind of dig into the fundamentals uh, of the game recaps. Um, today, we're going to do both Indiana games, the one from Monday night in Indiana, uh, the one from last night uh, in Charlotte, and then Atlanta on wednesday so richie's going to kind of lay out the fundamentals
1: and we're going to talk from there so richie i'll hand it over to you all right guys yeah on monday we played the uh pacers in indiana uh so we visited the pacers where we lost 96 to 105 just some interesting stats and some notable stats to kind of talk about victor oladipo uh obviously an all-star this year scored a team high for the pacers uh with 25 points on 11 of 15 shooting and I'm sure we'll get into this as we talk about this game, but we'll talk about how and where he got the majority of those points from. Uh, definitely wasn't from the three-point line. Definitely wasn't from the free-throw line. There was definitely a specific area in which he got a lot of those points. Uh, the Pacers also received 22 from Miles Turner, who just seems to be like a, a Hornet killer this year. Uh, this was his second game back from an elbow injury. And then for Charlotte, uh, the trio of Batum, Howard, and Kimba combined for 67 points and Batum has been having a very good uh, stretch here shooting the ball, especially from deep, and Monday was no different where he had 5 of 10 shooting from deep. So the starters played well for Charlotte, uh, but the get, the bench really just kind of gave them maybe next to nothing here, uh, only scoring 21 points off the bench. I don't think there was a single bench player that scored in double figures. Yep, yeah, Lamb was the highest with 8. Um, so the Pacers bench, uh, which... Was mostly Turner uh, because he he wasn't back in the starting lineup yet. Outscored the the Hornets forty to twenty one. Uh, and just some other notable stats from this game: Charlotte outscored, uh, was outscored in the paint fifty four to forty two, and also in fast break opportunities uh, twenty two to fourteen. So those are just some of the notable stats from this game. Uh, and we'll kind of get into kind of how the game played out. But I guess I will kind of just lead off in terms of how this game played out. One thing that I noticed, uh, I'll just talk about Dwight Howard early, Uh, offensively and defensively. I thought Dwight was very aggressive. With Sabonis starting ahead of Miles Turner, um, I'm sure that the Hornets kind of made an effort to give him the ball A little bit more often um, and he attacked 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 Sabonis and for the most part he was aggressive he was efficient early on Uh, he had 10 points I believe uh, real early on in the first quarter Um, and I think him him and the Hornets are doing a better job of getting that that backside alley-oop where he kind of is leaning and then kind of spins backside uh, for the alley-oop whether it's Batum or Kemba who throws that Uh, but on the other end uh, his pick and roll defense uh, was definitely an issue And they used Sabonis as a screener early and often, uh, and it just was more of the same with Charlotte with the pick-and-roll defense uh, out of Howard. So I thought offensively he was aggressive, but defensively it was the opposite. Uh, He wasn't aggressive, and that led to several, or many, I should say, mid-range shots that were just open. So what are your thoughts, uh, guys, from this game, positive and negative? Yeah, I
2: mean— I, I think you said it. The, I mean, the biggest thing I took away from this one, Richie was the pick and roll defense. This just seemed like one of those games where the Hornets, you know, just came in with their like usual defensive strategy with Dwight Howard out there to, to drop him, you know, deep into the paint on, on pick and roll and ball screens. And Victor Oladipo like, he's an all-star basically this year. Like he's one of the best shooting guards in the NBA. Like you can't just let him like walk into a mid range jump shot. It's, it's wide open. There's not a defender, you know, within five feet of him. It just, it, that's not going to work just because you're like forcing a mid range shot and you can like high five yourself for that. If it's w- that wide open, like it's not a good defensive strategy. So um, yeah, the, the Depot Sabonis uh, ball screen, pick and roll <clears throat> sequence was just, it was killer for the Hornets and they, and they couldn't guard it. Um, and not only that, but Dwight Howard, of course, didn't, you know, Miles Turner comes in off the bench and Howard is a lost cause trying to guard him too because of the way he can space the floor. So, you know, I just thought that like, number one on Steve Clifford, like you got to make Dwight make an adjustment, like have him come up closer to the ball, level of the ball when Oladipo's coming off a ball screen uh, and then vice versa. He's got to like, he has to be in that 50-50 area of, you know, showing and helping on the ball screen, but also being able to recover to Miles Turner. I mean, like, we're allowed to ask him to give some effort here, like that. That's okay. That should be fine. Uh, and I don't know. I just it really angered me to watch like MKG and Kimba and Batum just get clobbered on ball screens while Dwight just like stands five feet from from the action and like picks a dingleberry out of his butt or something, you know, and doesn't even doesn't even like pretend to put a hand up. I just this stuff just I can't watch that stuff. It's not a defensive strategy. So like that's that's the main thing I took away from that game and just like. Third, fourth quarter, like, nothing's changing. Nothing's changing. Nothing's changing. And, and Miles Turner just buries this in the fourth. I mean, it's just it's just maddening. So that that's really the main thing I took away from this Indiana game. And that's really the only thing I could focus on <laughs> when I watched it.
3: Yeah, uh, the, the Pacers shoot 56% on mid-range jump shots in this game, 58% on mid-rangers outside of 14 feet to the three-point line. And, you know, you guys were talking about Miles Turner giving Dwight issues. Any of these sort of stretch five-type guys – are going to give Dwight all kinds of problems. We saw earlier this season with with uh, Porzingis, too, and, and there have been a few others as well. But, yeah, in, in now in the season, uh, Miles Turner has played 53 minutes against the Hornets, 45 of those minutes with Dwight on the court. Uh, he's 12 of 29 on three-point attempts with Dwight on the court, 41%. With Dwight on the floor, Miles Turner has a true shooting rate and an effective field goal rate over 70%. So yeah, I mean he's just walking into wide open jump shots basically every single time, and to get up t- damn near 33 point attempts in 45 minutes as the center, and and I know the Hornets tried some different stuff in the Friday night game defensively with Turner, but most of that's with Dwight covering him, and uh, he's just feasted, period, yeah, for uh, you know with the against the uh, against the Hornets this season. Other other outside of that, other stuff I thought from this game, not a great game for Frank Kaminsky. Um, one of seven shooting, zero of three on three-point attempts. This is the 14th game this season. He's attempted at least one three-pointer and hasn't made any of them. And he now has 20 games this season where he shot under 40% in a game, too. Um, yeah, he just he continues to not be the sort of, like, efficient stretch four we want. I do like the fact that his passing is adding a little something to the, to the roster, but this was a rough game for the starting lineup. They gave up 116 points per 100 possessions, which is not great. Um, a little bit better when they subbed in Jeremy Lamb for Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. But yeah, for the most part, uh, this was just your sort of your vintage 2017, 2018 Hornets offensive, uh, you know, power outage. Essentially, they get less than 10% of their plays start with a transition, uh, transition play, and they score only 1.1 points per play on those transition attempts. So just nothing easy, uh, slow game, and, and yeah, the Hornets just struggled mightily. Yeah, and this was also,
2: just real quickly, this is one of those, like, usage uh, rate games where it's just it's a little bit of a traffic jam with Kimba, Batum, and Howard. Like, let's see, Kimba finishes 29.6 usage. uh, Batum's 24.7. Batum had a nice game here. Like, he really had a nice week, frankly, and and this was a a great start. So his usage was a healthy number, you know, not too far behind Kimba's. I mean, that's what you want. You want that one-two punch. But for Dwight's to be 22%, like that there's too much to go around at that point. Like, and that's just like where those post-ups come into play and become a negative on your offensive efficiency and really being able to get things going. I mean, I think that was really
1: highlighted in this game. Um, I wonder you know, if you can filter again, that by half Spencer. Like, I wonder if this usage rate was yeah. higher in the first half. If I had to bet, it probably was just from my, my memory, which is probably not the best. Yeah.
2: From, you from the eye me- test
3: that would make sense. Yeah. You're talking about Dwight specifically?
1: Yeah, Dwight specifically and the yeah. usage rate in the first yeah. half.
3: So, yeah, Dwight, Dwight in the first half had a usage rate of 33%. Yep. This a lot. It's just way too. I mean, in 19 minutes of action.
2: And and the pro- yeah. And the problem with that is, is, like, you're just not. I mean, it's like last night in, in, when India came, you know, came to Charlotte. Charlotte got off to a great start offensively because the ball's moving side to side. It's popping around. We see some shots go in early, and it really has very little to do with Dwight Howard. Like, but when you yep. start the game, like you know, making it a priority to give him the ball in the post, it's going to slow down everything else. You know, everything else about the game, and it's going to take you longer to get in your offensive flow. And the moral of the story in this game is the Hornets were never able to find it. You know, so mm-hmm.
3: I, I did like I did like that the Hornets got up thirty-one threes in this game, twenty-six from above the break. I mean, I, that's sort of my little benchmark. If they can get up at least thirty threes in a game. I feel a little bit better about their chances. Um, they take, yeah, but an effective field goal percentage of only 50 in this game, which is terrible. And um, they only shoot 36% from the mid-range, including 2 of 11 from the short mid-range, 4 to 14 feet. So Yeah, it's just not an efficient offensive game, even though they were able to get up a decent amount of
1: three-pointers. I guess one thing I debate, and kind of going back to the pick-and-roll defense, and I, know, I don't know what your guys' thoughts on this is, you know, Dwight Howard, first off, is just not a modern-day center. So it's, it's very difficult for him to kind of hedge hard on those pick and rolls. And we've seen when he's tried to do that, and whether he's caught in no man's land or he goes too hard, a lot of times some of the players just drive right by him. So it's one of those debates to have, like, well, sure, you want him to hedge hard like Cody, but he's not built like Cody. He's not a player like Cody that can stay with that guard and recover back to his man as easily. So... Do you? I mean, do you? Do you just live with him dropping? But then again, you're you're giving up those open mid range shots. So it's it's the give and take there. Where if he does come out hard, I still feel like the opposing team has an advantage if they can get by Howard.
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Actually, the Hornets showed a little bit of a different look last night. Yeah, it's almost like a matchup zone concept. I mean, they're in a man defense, but Frank helping from the weak side actually checked the roller uh when dwight was a little bit higher on Oladipo, depot um you know because the the you know pick and roll coverage is definitely different last night i mean you know props to clifford for that um and we probably should save this but because you're asking the question richie so frank actually came from the weak side, checked uh sabonis or whoever it was it was rolling and then as the play switched he just sent dwight out kind of towards the weak side which is an easier recovery for Dwight. He can kind of just float to the weak side instead of hedging or helping on the ball screen and then busting his tail to try to get back uh, to the rim. He can kind of just float to the weak side because that's a hard pass to make all the way over the top. So I thought that was interesting. Like that's something you'll see in college basketball in a matchup zone where, you know, the the team on offense is trying to pick on the, on the best matchup, right? They're trying to find the, the point guard, put him in a, in a tough post-up situation. So it was a similar concept to that. I mean, like if you're gonna ask Dwight to get out there and at least get to the level of the ball screen, um, then you got to like mix it up defensively and help him recover, Richie. And I think that's kind of the point you're saying. Like if you're gonna bring him out there, well, yeah, you can go buy him. But at the same token, like it's gonna be hard for him to recover. So um, yeah, I thought that was interesting.
3: Yeah, I I think there. I think having him drop is. I mean, they've been there. They're sort of stuck with it. I, I think that's the safest route because. Richie, as you said, if he if he comes out too high, guys will blow right by him. So, what would you rather give up a uh, you know a mid range shot or or um you know or or, a, or a shot at the rim? So, it, what they're doing is fine. I just think their options are sort of
1: limited in terms of their personnel. Right. All right. Unless anyone has any other thoughts on this game, we're going to move to Atlanta uh, Wednesday night in Phillips Arena. The Hornets traveled to Atlanta to take on the Lowly Hawks. And uh, had a great game offensively, scoring 123 points uh, in their win. And just a thing to note, from the previous game, Marvin rolled his ankle uh, against Indiana. So Frank got the start ahead of him. And he's missed the past couple of games, Marvin, that is, with this ankle injury. Uh, Kimba, once again, was amazing. Uh, Finished with 38 points on 9 of 13 shooting from deep that is uh this game was closer than it needed to be with the atlanta hawks but it just seemed like kimba came up with all these dagger threes preventing atlanta from taking any type of lead especially in the third quarter it felt like it felt like it got a little closer than it needed to be uh and then batum had a quiet triple double uh 10 points 10 assists 11 rebounds i thought uh mkg also had a solid game uh five of seven shooting finished with 10 points uh in just 20 minutes of play the bench was a, a little bit better uh, than they were against the Pacers uh, in Monday night's loss, but they uh, they didn't do so well on the defensive end. Um, our old friend Bellinelli uh, helped the, uh, the Hawks <laughs> keep it close with 22 points off the bench, but, but the bench did score 34 points as opposed to like 20 as they did last game. Uh, and as a team, I thought the Hornets moved the ball well. Uh, we were clicking offensively, especially from the starters. They, they did uh, pass the ball very well. Of the 29 assists, 21 of them came from the starters. Uh, but other than that, uh, nothing too jarring uh, from this game. And you always have to take things with a with a grain of salt here when you're playing these Hawks. So just kind of leading off, I thought very similar to the uh, the Pacer game on Monday night. They force fed Dwight early, another old friend of ours. Miles Plumley <laughs> was in the game early, and they and he really had no answer for Dwight. Um, it felt like there was a concerted effort to get him the ball early. And then just another player that I thought did well. Um, I know that Spencer, you said that he might have had some defensive laps into this game, but Kid Gilchrist, I thought his arsenal was on full display. Uh, I felt like everything that he's improved on this season, you saw it: his post-ups, his mid-range shots, his cuts, his you know his transition baskets. Uh, he only played 20 minutes, but I felt like he was very efficient and you saw his full arsenal uh, on display against this Hawks team in which we won 123 to 110. So um, again, this is a game without Marvin Williams. Uh, we had Kaminsky starting. Uh, so the the rotations were kind of shifted around a little bit. We saw Graham play the four a lot. So what are, what are your thoughts here Spencer on, on this game? I know it's I know it's the Hawks, but uh, anything positive to take from this game?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's lots of positives, and I agree with you on MKG. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I think he's working his tail off out there. I just, I mean, I don't know. I I think he's asked to do so much defensively, Mm -hmm. especially when Dwight's on the floor, and he's asked to cover so much ground, and I think he's, I mean, frankly, just go check either Brian's Twitter account or mine, and you'll probably see a video of uh, MKG and Dwight going back and forth with each other last night on defensive assignments. I mean, mkg just he just can't he can't do everything right like he needs he needs help and he needs dwight to you know help him on some of these off-ball screens i mean my frustration with mkg you know in this game was just um you know picking up some fouls on baysmore that he he didn't necessarily need to um just kind of maybe being overly aggressive which i mean i i get like baysmore had it going in this game and Mm -hmm. he's turned into a killer against the hornets randomly this season but um But yeah, I mean, MKG just still has this thing defensively where he just he gets frustrated very easily and he picks up these like ticky tack stupid fouls that he just shouldn't, Um, you know, and that's where I I wish he could turn a little bit of a corner defensively is just like being, you know, that lockdown defender he is. But like being able to, you know, keep control of his motions a little bit better because I just watch him too often pick up fouls that are unnecessary, I guess. And, and you definitely saw that in this game. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, like, offensively, I got to note here in the first quarter, like, if that guy gets into a rhythm dribble going left, like, the jumper looks really smooth. Like, it almost doesn't have a hitch anymore. Um, I mean, it, it does. But, like, from where we came from or started from, it looks a whole lot better. Um, and then Travion and MKG together, like, we've seen Travion at the four, uh, some with Charlotte, since the marvin injury monday against uh against the pacers and man that lineup gives you a lot of juice on the defensive end from just a switching standpoint and then on the other end it just gives you that floor spacing component along with a guy in trevion who can obviously attack a closeout and keep the ball moving with a little bit quicker of a pace than a guy like marvin williams so i am really excited uh to see Travion playing some four here recently and then, I mean, the other obvious thing in this game is just like Kimba Walker. I mean, unfreaking believable what he did, especially like mid-third quarter all the way to the end. Knocks down nine threes in this game. And really, like the last three or four buckets that he had, it was just like vintage Kimba. It was like him setting up his man on a screen and roll. Um, him coming off an Iverson cut. Uh, him coming off a pin-down. Uh, Going into a DHO and just like using his like herky jerky shoulder shiver like moves that give defenders an anxiety attack and get them on their heels. I mean, it's just, it was Kimba at his best. Um, And he really, really needed that game. And it obviously carried over into last night against the Pacers at home. So I I don't know that I've ever had as much fun watching Kimba Walker as I had Wednesday night in like the late third quarter,
3: uh, fourth quarter in Atlanta. Yeah, he was amazing. Um, twelve of twenty, nine of thirteen on threes. in the in the third quarter, he scores eighteen points on twelve field goal attempts. He hits five five three pointers. It's amazing how much room he can create with like a crossover into a step back. I mean, he that's that's basically what's made him into an all star player in the league is that at the ground he can cover on that at six feet tall or you know five eleven or whatever his height is is just it's it's inc- it's incredible. This yeah. was this game against Atlanta, I mean, the Hawks are terrible, but this was the second most efficient offensive performance for the Hornets this season, over uh, 137 points per 100 possessions, an effective field goal percentage over 63%. Um, no Marvin, but the starters were awesome. They scored over 1.5 points per possession, defensive rebound rate over 82%, and the starting lineup together, they go 19 of 29 from the field, five of nine on three-pointers, with a true shooting percentage of sixty, or pardon me, seventy-six percent, and like you guys said, I mean Kemba was just—he was—he was incredible. You felt Steve Clifford said it before the game for Friday night. You just felt like every shot he was throwing up was going to go in, and that's—that's yeah. that's exactly how it felt. And that performance happening right around, right after Goran Dragic got named as an All Star substitute as opposed to Kemba, you know, maybe maybe that had nothing to do with it. But um in my own in my own bizarre way of viewing the game it felt like a uh, oh well you think that guy's better than me well watch me go go berserk on the Hawks here and really just what he's done the last two games the Hawks Wednesday and the Pacers Friday just incredible um 33 field goal makes and only 12 of those were assisted so 19 unassisted <laughs> Field goals. The guy, the guy is just throwing in heat rocks from all over the field, and he's been unbelievable out of the pick and roll this season. Um, something that I tweeted out earlier today. But, yeah, 50% of Kemba's possessions this season are pick and rolls. He's scoring 11.3 points per game out of the pick and roll. That's second in the NBA behind only Damian Lillard. And in terms of points per possession out of the pick and roll, Kemba 1.02 points per possession. That's better than LeBron James, Victor Oladipo, who you just saw carve up the Hornets, and DeMar DeRozan. The only guys better than Kemba or more efficient than Kemba out of the pick and roll this season. Listen to this list of names: Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving, and Damian Lillard. That's it. Like that. That's the list. Period. And honestly, Kyrie and Dame and Kemba are right there. Steph's the only one that's sort of like noticeably ahead of Kemba in terms of efficiency out of the pick and roll. And he just the the Hawks had had no answer for him. And it was it was really really fun to watch him go to work. So it's the most efficient
2: play type uh, for the Hornets. And not only is it one of the most efficient play types for the Hornets, but frankly, it's one of the most efficient play types in the entire freaking NBA. But we're going to give Dwight Howard uh, the third most fr- like, frequency-wise post-ups yeah. in the entire league. Right, Brian? Yeah. Yep. is in- that where he is right now? Yep. So as good as Kimba has been in the pick and roll, very much like last season and the season before, he's getting less this year for the reason that I just mentioned, which makes – just think about that. Just think about it. All right. Um, what else in this game? I did want to mention – so we see this like Michael Carter Williams, uh, Kimba Walker yeah. duo. We saw it late last night against yeah. Indiana. So like I heard Nate Duncan and Danny Lurie talking about it a little bit earlier in the week, and they're 15 and 60, where they basically run down the fundamentals of each team. So they were they were talking about this and saying how it really makes zero sense for MCW to be out there with Kimba. And so I would push back a little bit on that, as I do think NCW MCW has a lot of undervalued or at least underrated defensive ability. I think you saw it last night against Oladipo. He did a fantastic job in the fourth quarter of really slowing him down and securing that win offensively though, Clifford does have to like know how to use NCW. For example, in Atlanta on, um, on Wednesday night, the Hawks finally go to the the strategy of trapping Kimba in these pick and roll situations. Mm -hmm. So, when it happens, somebody's got a flash to the middle of the floor. Obviously, JOB was doing a nice job. He, he was getting right to the middle of the floor, slipping the screen, throwing it opposite to Lamb. But, like, if you're going to have Michael Carter Williams in the game at that point, put him on the opposite wing and put Lamb in the corner. Like, MCW serves you no purpose standing in the corner. Like, if he's going to be out there yeah. with Kim Walker, then at least let him be the second banana ball handler and creator. Because when he gets momentum going downhill, like he can create stuff, he can throw it out. I wouldn't say he can finish at the rim, but I mean, he gives you something there. If he's just standing in the short corner or in the corner, it's not giving you anything. So like, I, I think Carter Williams, as bad as he's been this year, does really serve a purpose for the Hornets late in games defensively, especially against a true ball handler, a guy like depot. And I thought it was very interesting last night. Like Clifford went with Carter Williams over Kid Gilchrist. I mean, that is pretty significant. Um, and that's obviously, you, you know, you think you're gaining more defensively there and you're not losing anything offensively. So, you know, it surprises me, but I, I don't totally think it's... I, I don't disagree with the idea wholeheartedly. I think there's some... Uh, faction of logic to it but offensively you got to know how to use it
1: yeah and, I, and i'll add to that like you said you know the teams have been doing a great job of doubling walker you know out of the pick and roll or just in general and he's kind of impressed me how he's handled the you know those situation and, and passing out of the double teams but there was one moment in the atlanta game where carter williams did flash to the high post uh walker was doubled i believe on the right side he made a pass to Carter Williams, who had flashed up to the post, and Williams caught it in mid midair, zipped it down to J.O.B., uh, and I think J.O.B. got like an and one at that point. So, yeah, you definitely have to have creative ways in, in using Carter Williams offensively, because when he has the ball in the ha- his hands, people are going to sag off of him, but I think he's done a good job of driving to the basket, using that space, and then when they collapse he passes out and I've, I've talked about this before and our group message is just saying you know he just doesn't drive to score anymore but it's probably because he he, he lacks confidence at the rim right now but at least when he drives it does draw some attention to it and he, he can kick it out so um i definitely made a note of that in the fourth quarter he made this great pass uh, after flashing off of a double uh on walker so that that's definitely impressed me and uh Clifford definitely tinker, tinkered with some lineups in this game with uh, Marvin Williams out, and they had a lineup of Walker, Batum, Carter Williams, and Graham at the one through four at one point.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll say this, too, just real quickly. Like, when you when you play Carter Williams, it allows Kemba to get off the ball a little bit, too. And, mm-hmm. I mean, we were kind of joking mm-hmm. about this. When they do run those floppy sets for Kemba or Lamb when, M- when MCW's in the game, it is amazing to see just how far the opposing point guard <laughs> sags off Carter Williams. I mean, just like... Yeah. He's above the three-point line and the opposing point guard or whoever is guarding MCW is closer to the free-throw line than he is the three-point line. It's pretty amazing to watch. But something to keep an eye on. This is why I don't think it's – I don't mind going with the double point guard lineup. Uh, With with Kemba on the court with Carter Williams this year, the Hornets scoring better than 113 points per 100 possessions. That's the best offensive rating that Kemba has with any other – Person on the team in terms of like two man lineups, the Hornets right. have a net rating of nine point two plus nine point two points for one hundred possessions with those two on the court, and they have an assist percentage which is third best amongst Kemba two man combinations, and they have an assist rate with those two guys on the court together of sixty two percent. That's the best of any Kemba Walker uh, two man lineup combination this season. So, no, I don't uh, look. You got to be you got to be smart about how you, where you place him. If he's off the ball in these lineups with Kemba, because it makes it pretty easy to trap if he's just chilling in the corner. But I definitely think there's some utility. And look, I've been hard on MCW this year. He's he is by by the statistics. If you look at them, like he's the worst shooting rotation player in the NBA this season, um, mm-hmm. regardless of mm-hmm. position. He's dead last in effective field goal percentage. There's nowhere good. He doesn't shoot well from anywhere on the court, including at the rim. Um, but I do think there is some utility. To this Kemba MCW double point guard lineup, yeah. And look, when again, I, I just keep
2: using this Depot example because it's the best one I have right now. But you know, at the end of a game in a clutch situation where Indiana or any team's going to go to like, like you know, on Sunday, Devin Booker, you know, it's easier for MCW to like get up in. At six five or six six, whatever he is, he's a little bit smaller and more agile, more able to slide over a ball screen than maybe a guy like MKG. That doesn't mean he's a better defender; It just means he's he, he's more suited for that skill set that you need. Like, you know, as good as Michael K. Gilchrist is at, at defending, like I would say, MCW is better at negotiating ball screen defensive situations where. You're not going to go under like you got to get on the guy's hip. You got to slide over and you got to get back in front. Michael Carter Williams is exceptional at that. Um, And I think I honestly think like that's one of the reasons that he's getting these minutes here recently over MKG in important situations. You know, and I'll say this, too. I think from a coaching standpoint, just trying to get into the inside the psyche of Steve Clifford right now, he understands how much of an effect it's had on on Carter Williams, how bad of a season he's had offensively. And yet here's a guy who gives you freaking everything he's got when he probably in practice. I'm assuming Clifford's been making some really high praise comments about him in the media. And, you know, he gives you everything he's got defensively. And heck, he's been really, really good at it. Um, So, you know, I think that's really Clifford. And this is vintage Clifford. But I think that's him saying, look, here's a guy who's had a shitty season. He has every reason to give in. Uh, He's on a make good contract. He's a you know, he's an ex rookie of the year like this guy's got every excuse in the book to pretty much give up and he's not doing it like he's earned his minutes. You know, I mean, I think it can be something as simple as that and less of like a a scheme kind of deal. So so I would think about it from that uh, point, too, because I think Clifford sees a guy like Carter Williams. Really setting an example for what he wants all of his guys to be defensively. So uh,
3: you know, did I think that. Uh, right yeah. Did you guys read Zach Lowe's piece on the the Bucks recently? Like the return of Jabari Parker by any chance? I, I did not get a chance. So to it's so one. it's sort of amazing. He mentions this one story, and this I'm just going to pick out this one one quick part of it. But he mentions this one story from the 2014-15 season. It's kids first year with the Bucks, and so Giannis isn't the Greek freak yet. Jabari Parker's, you know, come, he's coming off, uh, this is his rookie season, and MCW is in town too, and, you know, he's only a year or two removed from winning the Rookie of the Year, and basically, I don't know why Jason Kidd did this, but he basically polls the team to see, hey, who's the who, do we, who does the team think is the best player on the team? And amazingly, like a lot of, you know, a variety of people get votes, including Chris Middleton, et cetera. But there's even some people in the room that think MCW might be the most talented player on the roster. And it's kind of amazing to see just how that's only three seasons ago. And it's sort of amazing to see how far he slipped, because at this point, he's basically been like below replacement level this year as a backup point guard. And I mean, he's really he's been he's had his issues, so it's it's sort of amazing to see cliff tr- i feel like cliff is is almost cognizant of that too and it's like you said spencer is trying to sort of pump him up through the media and we know that's a medium that steve clifford has used before to get messages to his players whether we're fans of that strategy or not
1: just to add to spencer's point i think um you know michael carter williams compared to michael kidd gilchrist god those, those names just confuse me but defensively you know i think carter williams can gain more ground on his defensive slides versus uh kid gilchrist kid gilchrist might be the more physical player but you know i think there is some benefit in pairing carter williams and walker out there and carter williams maybe even replacing uh kid gilchrist because he can gain more ground it feels like he's a lankier type of player and sometimes kid gilchrist i feel like when he slides he kind of chops his feet and makes these short slides Carter Williams can gain ground and can catch up if, if he's trying to recover. But um, any other thoughts on this game? I know that they made 304 passes, and that's always like a benchmark for the Hornets, um, yeah. that 300 mark. And they had the third most assist on the season with 29, and then they had five secondary assists. Spencer, what did you want to add to this?
2: Yeah, no, just real quickly. I, I did want to give Dwight Howard. It was a lot of Dwight Howard in this game, but like to Clifford's credit and Dwight's credit, like once Plumlee, you know, had his ceremonial start in seven mm-hmm. minutes of playing time. Like it, it was, it was, it was Mescala mm-hmm. and uh, Dwayne Dedman you know, pretty much guarding him for the rest of the game. So like Howard can overpower that. He did. They gave him the ball. He even had some like nice little. Kimba had some nice pocket passes to him in the pick and roll. Like it was good, Howard. And he also sent Mike Muscala into some Ooh. universe far, far away uh, with that dunk in the fourth quarter. Like holy crap! Uh, rest yeah. in peace, Mike Muscala, uh, proud alum of the Bucknell Bison. But yeah, good lord, that uh, that was disgusting. Like I just laughed out loud when I saw that. That was that was pretty fun.
3: Yeah. So. The, what one last quick note too. By the way. Um, so do you think uh, Johnny O'Brien had any – Johnny O'Brien had any clue that Cody Zeller was going to come back Friday night and this would be sort of his last game in the rotation? He should have known. Because, <laughs> uh, because I think he did know. Because in he was see, getting his shots up. Huh? Because in 16 and a half minutes of action, J.O.B. takes eight shots from the field, which is just <laughs> – like, like Johnny O'Brien knew, hey, this is maybe my last chance to uh, to get us some shots for the rest of the season, you know, depending on, on how things shake out. And uh, J.O.B., J.O.B. 3, the guy never disappoints. Yeah, eight shots, eight field goal attempts uh, in less than 17 minutes of action. Love La it. Man. Love it, yeah. J-O-B.
1: Second favorite yeah. player. Second favorite player on this team. Let's go. Um, so <laughs> we're recording this on a Saturday morning. Uh, so last night, uh, Friday, they played the Pacers for the second time in a week. Uh, the Hornets got revenge and put up 133 points. Uh, the first quarter was definitely something to watch. It didn't seem like Charlotte was really going to miss. Uh, they set a franchise record with 49 points, not just for a first quarter, but for a quarter and in, in, in overall. So 49 points in the first quarter. So you would think that this would be an easy game. Uh, but there were points during this game where it got a little close. Pretty much the whole second half was closer than it needed to be. But um, again, the Hornets were led by Kimba Walker, who had 41 points on 11-of-22 shooting, and he was perfect from the line, 14-for-14. Batum had another hot night shooting the ball, making seven three-pointers, and he made, like, three of them to start the game, like, in the first, like, three minutes or so, and he finished with 31 points. Uh, But again, even with that franchise record for points in a quarter and the hot shooting, Pacers really, you know, they got close. They put up 34 points in the third quarter to make this game close. Uh, But luckily for Charlotte, we have our our reliable Kemba Walker, uh, who always came up clutch with those dagger threes. And then again, we can't forget to mention, like you just said, Brian, Cody Zeller returned from injury. I'm sure he was on a minutes restriction. He didn't play Often, but when he was in there he was definitely effective Um, he unlocks a lot of different things that uh, Dwight Howard uh, doesn't with his screen setting it just seems like when he's out there the ball moves people move because he's forcing you to do that by going to set screens so uh, he uh, came back returned and he finished with let's see here five points and but again, that's not really what we're here for. For for um, Zeller, it's not the points. It's it's more like how the offense operates. So again, Nick Batum shot the ball very very well from three point land. I thought it's funny his heat check in the first quarter. He made the first <laughs> yeah he he made his first three three pointers, and I believe they're all from the right side. And mm-hmm. he caught the ball like at mid court, and it was slightly to the left side. And like he put his head down, dribbled straight over to the right side because he felt. Okay, a heat check's got to come from the same spot, which I don't really feel that's wh- what what needs to happen in a heat check. But he just pulls up for that four three. Didn't make it, but it was funny to watch just to see him take a heat check. But uh, yeah, uh, a very good offensive game from Charlotte, especially early on.
2: Yeah, this game. I mean, Nick Batum, man, just the way he got it going early and how aggressive he was. I mean, that was just so refreshing to see. Um, and I mean, he's been like that all week. I mean, he really has. Like starting Monday in Indiana, yeah. he's been very aggressive in hunting his shot. Um, you know, he just, I don't, I don't know how else to explain. He just looks, looks more, uh, like a confident player. And is that just like seeing shots go in? Is that, you know, just being more healthy from the elbow injury? You know, I don't know, but he looks like a different player. Um, him and Kimba have really got some synergy humming right now. Um, and, and it is getting the ball out of Dwight's hands more often. I mean, when Batum gets it going like this, he's not just standing. I mean, he's coming to the ball. He, you know, he knows that the possession has to go through him to some extent and I mean, God almighty, I mean, <laughs> early in the first quarter, he was just unconscious. So super fun to watch. Um, but I mean, what a game for the Hornets offensively. I mean, everything was cooking for them. <laughs> There's one play and uh, Brian, you actually brought it up a little earlier. Like Frank Kaminsky really does help this starting lineup in terms of like just getting the ball moving, like mm-hmm. those little pick and pops from the top, you know, where Marvin likes to slip a lot of those and he'll occupy the corner a lot like Frank's. Frank's different in, in, in terms of you know he'll put himself in a pick and roll situation at the top and he's going to pop it right to the top of the key and then if he's got nothing or he doesn't have a closeout to attack you know he'll just throw the ball opposite and now the ball's getting side to side so like he gives the offense some some zest there uh, but there was a play in the, I think it was in the first quarter where Kimba comes off a little Dwight ball screen. I think Batum had set the ball screen with it was kind of like a double ball screen. And so as soon as um, I'm sorry, Batum. Let me start over here. Batum has the ball. Kimba's like in the ball screen with Dwight. As soon as Kimba sets it, he starts to float to the opposite side of the floor. Dwight rolls, and then Frank sets like a little flare screen, and Batum just throws it across the floor right into a pot, right into Kimba's pocket. Boom, three. While Frank sets a little flare screen there, that like that kind of play right there is. I don't know if it's a set play or if it's more just like Kimba and Batum, just like being on the same page and being high IQ players. I don't know if you remember that play, but yeah. I didn't seen anything like that all season. If we start seeing like creativity like that, but from those two, like the Hornets offense really could keep up this pace. It's been at recently.
3: Yeah, this is uh some of their, just looking at 45% of the passes that Batum's received the last two games. So the Atlanta game, and then Friday night against Indiana have come from Kemba. Um, uh, Nick, on those attempts, shooting 56%, uh, 60% on three-pointers, three of five, after a pass from Kemba Sia. So yeah, they clearly have a little synergy going together. And, you know, welcome back, Cody Zeller. Uh, only plays 16 minutes. He was on a minutes restriction in this game. But in that time he's on the court, Charlotte scores 1.45 points per possession, which is just incredible. A net rating of plus 33 points per 100 possessions, which is insane. And a plus-minus overall of plus 11 um when he's on the court charlotte goes 16 of 27 from the field uh in a 75% true shooting percentage and a turnover rate of only 12% and boy how nice was it i can't remember and by the way we should give also give credit patrick connor um he was he pointed out on twitter last night man the ball is really moving around with frank out there so i want to give him yeah. him some credit he he definitely he brought that to my attention last night but um, how nice was it when they went with that lineup in the second half, at the end of the third quarter, and this was when the game started to slip away a little bit, got within the Pacers, got within one point, and the Hornets went with the lineup of Kemba, MCW, Jeremy Lamb, Trevion Graham, basically trying to be Marvin Williams out there for the Hornets and Cody Zeller. That lineup was incredible. Um, but how nice was it when Kemba got trapped and he threw it to Cody in the corner, and Cody went left, made one dribble, whipped it to Lamb in the opposite corner who drove baseline and got an and one. And you were like, "God, oh, where yeah. has this play been the last 2 months?" Yeah. And and I'm not I don't I don't want to just keep keep beating on Dwight here, but like that's a play that you just I and I think Dwight is a is a as an okay passer at times when his back's to the basket and he sees a double coming or whatever. But that's that's not the kind of pass that Dwight can make where he can catch it on the fly, dribble left and then throw it to the weak side for, you know, for someone who's coming in on a cut that, that just, that, that plays not in his arsenal and it's not in most centers, arsenal either arsenals and to have Cody out there doing it. You're just like, I mean, Kemba must've been like, when was the last time he got a hockey assist like that, you know, where he got trapped threw it to his center and then they got a, they got an and one out of that. I mean, I I can't think of the last time that's happened this season. So Cody, I mean, his fingerprints were all over this game, even though he only played in 16 minutes. And, uh, and really, that lineup of Kemba, MCW, Lamb, Graham, and Zeller, uh, they were incredible. They go 5 of 6 from the field, 2 of 2 on threes, 1.7 points per possession. In the fourth quarter, they scored 12 points on only four field goal attempts. And again, this is wow. the lineup that came in after uh, the Pacers cut the lead, what was 20 points down to 1. I mean, it was just they, they saved this game for the Hornets. Uh, some people were pushing back. With me on that on that claim last night on Twitter, but but um you know I'll stand by it. In the in just to go back one more time, I mean Kemba and Batum. Kemba scores forty one points on twenty two field goal attempts. Batum and Kemba combined for seventy two points on forty field goal attempts, including sixteen from the free throw line. That, my friends, is efficiency.
2: Yeah, no doubt. That's the
3: definition of it. The only other thing I wanted to bring up in this
2: game. Um, you can go check it out on my Twitter handle at QCH Spencer, but, uh, Dwight Howard and MKG had a little, uh, defensive, um, exchange we'll say in the the (laughs) second half (laughs) mid third quarter. Um, so first play involved, you know, miles Turner's out there. He's picking and popping. He's giving Dwight nightmares. So it's the same kind of situation. I think it was, a, I don't know if it was Corey Joseph or Depot with the ball, but um, like I said earlier, <clears throat> the, the strategy uh, on corralling the ball handler last night on pick and roll situations, ball screen situations was different. So Dwight Howard was at the level of the screen. Turner kind of flows to the opposite weak side where now it's thrown back to him. Dwight has a long, you know, a lot of space to recover there. So, MKG's playing two on one on the backside and doesn't stunt to help on Turner there. So, Turner, you know, just steps right into a mid range shot, splash. Dwight turns to MKG and says, You're going to help? Okay. So, and that's a fair question. I mean, MKG actually probably should have stunted there, at least to make Turner think about it, but whatever. So, next, so the Hornets bring it down. They miss, whatever happens. Indiana has a fast break opportunity coming the other way. Ball goes into the right corner. MKG runs that guy off the top of the, off the line. Ball goes to the top, MKG and I think Carter Williams are both running at the guy, but we'll give him MKG credit for getting the ball away from there. And then the opposite wing, it goes to then, MKG then sprints there and runs the player off the line there. And then that guy dribbles all the way to the rim, I don't remember who it was, and then throws it to the the corner where MKG's like, look, man, I can't run anywhere (laughs) else right now. Like, I just ran the entire floor. And then Howard, and that by now MKG is on the hip of the guy that was driving, is at the rim. Him and Howard are looking at each other, and MKG looks at Howard and he's like, "What the fuck, man!" Like he was like, "Can you do anything? You just gonna like run down the floor and just stand <laughs> under the rim? Like is that all you're gonna do?" It was it was awesome. Like it, I mean, it was maddening, but it is everything that we've basically <laughs> talked about with like Dwight Howard this year and what his limitations are and the frustrations players get with him, like. Think about – just think about it this way, and then we probably need to move on, Richie. But, like, think about being MKG and doing all that you do defensively and, like, getting all over the floor and running all these guys off the line and stopping dribble penetration and and going over the top of ball screens when you're not getting help, when it involves Howard. And then Howard looks at you and says, are you going (laughs) to (laughs) help? Just, like, like, imagine that. It's like the pot pot calling the kettle black, right? I mean, even worse, man. Like, Dwight Howard – that guy is unbelievable.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I would like to, I'd like to mention too, Miles Turner had 10 screen assists in this yes, game. I, That's sort of like the hallmark. Whenever, whenever Dwight's having trouble, you know, chasing around one of these stretch five type guys, you know, those guys usually have seven plus screen assists, and Turner had 10, which is just mm-hmm. a, a ton. I'm guessing most of those were for Depot, who was pretty amazing in the pick and roll, but I just want to, I'll just want to throw this out here real quickly just cause I want us to think about this. So, Dwight's performance in terms of his defense especially in the third quarter like I don't know what set him off was it Clifford going with Cody for the last minute of the second quarter was it he didn't feel like he was getting his post touches whether you know he was just having a, a night where he wasn't he was mad at the world a little bit uh, you know we're all we can, we all we can all have those those days at work but man his effort defensively in the third quarter it was a joke like it was just an absolute joke and so much so that when Dwight came back on in the fourth quarter, Clifford took him off of Miles Turner and put him on Thad Young, and took Frank Kaminsky, who, mind you, ranks 95th out of 96 qualified players, power forwards in defensive RPM, and he put him on Miles Turner. Like Frank Kaminsky is the guy that every team targets when he goes in the game, in in in, in screen action off the ball or on the ball, whatever. And Clifford said, no, 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 you guard Miles Turner, because you're at least going to move your feet a little bit and try to get in the way of these mid-range shots. And I mean, Dwight, again, the body language was bad. And he was certainly not happy when at the end of the game, when things got tight, when Clifford went small and put um, you know, put MKG sort of as like the de facto center. And and look, again, we're all entitled, we can all have bad games, nights where we're not feeling it. Maybe he comes back stronger against Phoenix, but I'm telling you, man. Watch that third quarter again and try not to get frustrated with his effort. It was a joke. It's especially frustrating when you see Kemba Walker, who's a fraction of his size, just doing literally everything in his power to get this team you know, a, a, a win in the middle of February in Charlotte. And you just think, you know, it doesn't quite work this way, but take Kemba Walker's heart and put it in Dwight Howard's body, and that guy rules the world. Oh, yeah and and look this is nothing against dwight look he's the greatest defensive center of my generation surefire hall of famer i I mean awesome entertaining popular player but at this point richie you said it earlier i mean like he's just kind of a dinosaur and and i just don't think at i don't want to question someone's effort level i don't want to do that but man in the third quarter it it was it was pretty pathetic and um and and pretty disappointing to watch too to be totally honest with you yeah no it's it's
2: it's okay to question his effort level. I mean, if if you can clearly see it out there, then it's fine. You know, what I mean, like I know we rag on Dwight a lot and that we frustrate people and annoy people, but like just watch a Hornets game and just like make just exercise. Watch Dwight Howard. Don't take your eyes off him. Just watch him. Just take some notes and just make an observation. You and you tell me. Are, are we seeing something that's not there? I don't. I don't think so.
1: <laughs> and I, I would say I felt like the first half he was definitely more aggressive. So something switched. Totally. Like you, something switched, Brian. Like you said, no maybe it was the lead. Maybe they he thought the lead was too high for him to put in that effort because you know heading into the third quarter we were probably up close to fifteen, eighteen points uh, yeah. during that stretch. So that could have played a role in that as well. So, um, but yeah, that third quarter uh, definitely less aggressive, uh, sagging. They feasted in the mid range, and like you said, Miles Turner made the same note here. 10 screen assist uh, on the game, and just a just a quick note before we get off this game. I know you guys both kind of plugged your Twitter, and I'm sure you guys have realized, and some of the listeners have realized, I've kind of been inactive on Twitter lately. But that's that's, that's been the reason. Uh, my wife told me that I've been addicted to Twitter, guys. So I've taken Uh-oh. the app off my phone. Uh-oh. App is off my phone, so I can only do it uh-huh. on the computer. So, which is not always accessible. So, I don't. I don't know how I'm going to keep up with news in the world too. So that that's also an issue. So that's yeah. kind of where I got my news. But uh, I, I would agree with her. I kind of was attached to it at times. So that's probably why I'm a little bit l- less active on on Twitter recently.
2: I can't let my wife hear that, and then she'll be like, you know, now that I'm thinking of it, I think you're addicted as well. <laughs>
4: yeah. So. Uh, I'm yeah, luckily, let her
3: this luckily I'm unattached, so I can uh <laughs> I can uh, I can get on Twitter as much as I want. Although there are times, it's usually just during basketball season where I'm like, man, I, I gotta I, I gotta I gotta chill out on this a little bit. Um, but yeah, once once hoop season ends, I, I basically you know, until they're absolutely draft and there's the silly season of free agency. But I I sort of drift away a little bit July through October, but then, um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a, an addiction looking at screens during hoop season. All right. Let's, um, let's get in some
2: of the newsy, uh, items. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, um, Brian and I's, uh, trade deadline column we did yesterday. Kind of just answered five questions. Um, I thought, I thought it was really good. It was a good exercise to do for myself, um, to just kind of Wrap my mind around everything the Hornets have to consider here, but uh, okay, let's jump in. News stuff: Malik Monk. uh, Apparently, Milwaukee has some interest. I don't even. I didn't even write this down earlier. Who reported this? Um, Maybe Sporting News. But so Milwaukee has interest in Malik Monk. I mean, I think they're. You know, just quickly, I think there's some justification. Anybody having uh, interest in Malik Monk? I mean, you know. Maybe to the public eye, he looks like broken goods right now, but that's probably far from the truth. And why not, if you're Milwaukee or any team, knock on the door and say, "Hey, you know, you guys giving up on this guy? We'd love to have him." Um, you know, I think Charlotte would be doing their due diligence to certainly listen to anything uh, or any offer you know any team has for for Malik Monk. I think Monk, you know, obviously a team control deal, rookie scale contract, uh, lots of promise. Like that's an asset. So you want Malik Monk? okay, you got to take a bad yeah. contract. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I think the most realistic, positive deal for Charlotte there, but I'll be honest with you, trading him really gives me a, a bad feeling. That just yeah. seems like one of those other moves that the Hornets would make and be like, why did you do this? Yeah. So uh, You know,
3: let, let's just, let's be real about it too. If they move Monk, then Frank Kaminsky is the last first round pick. They still have, they would have only right. one first round pick still on a rookie contract on the roster. I mean, Spencer, you and I, we, we thought about hitting on this last week. I just think you got to play this guy more. I mean, I know we were just sort of singing MCW's praises, but I, I wouldn't be a, I would just wouldn't be opposed to just trying to see. He's the Hornets have been bad with him on the court as the lone point guard this year, but when he plays next to Kemba, um, man, they've been they they've been just fine. So yeah. I, I'd love to see this guy get more playing time. You got to see if he can figure it out. Um, I just. I worry about his confidence level right now because it just, I mean, he he'll go a week without playing. Then he'll get thrown to the wolves when someone's hurt and he won't have a, you know, he won't won't—he'll miss a couple of rotations. He'll check a bad three and then he'll play eight minutes and that's it. And then you won't see him again for another 10 days. And um, man, I just think he's so talented and explosive offensively. I just would just love to see more of him out on the court. If it's going to be a disaster, which I don't think it will, but if it's going to be a disaster, we got to see it. Because it's not doing him any good in my opinion, to just sit there and watch the hornets score ninety five points a game, um I just it's just it's not doing him any good, but uh, but yeah, that's just
1: me, yeah, yeah, we haven't seen yeah. enough of him for us to kind of give up on him this quickly, and you know he hasn't been the greatest this season shooting the ball, and he you know he has that shooter's mentality. we keep shooting and shooting, even if they're not falling. We kind of saw that at the end of the Atlanta game as well, he came in for like. Six, seven, eight minutes, and he was he was shooting the ball. Uh, regardless if it was going in, he was he was taking that shot. But like you said, Brian, he hasn't found that groove yet because he hasn't seen consistent playing time. And, yeah. and I feel like if we did trade him, you know, I feel like he would like blow up and and become way better uh, than maybe we we're expecting him to be because he's on a different team. So let's not give up give up on him quite yet. He's nineteen years he's nineteen old. years old like, too. We, we cannot yeah.
3: give up on this guy. Yeah. You got to be imagine you think of yourself at nineteen. Like I like think of I mean, think do you think you could handle, you know, your your confidence being jerked around like this? And we can't forget that before Carter Williams came back, I mean, Monk had some great games early in the season. The game at New York, the Richie, the game against the Bucks that you were at when he went just berserk. And you think of this team that has so many issues scoring the ball. I mean, not the last two games. They they've been amazing. But over the course of the season, uh, the game against the Pacers on Monday was the 21st time this season the Hornets have scored below one point per possession in this game. That's almost half the games they've played this season where they're not even scoring 100 points per 100 possessions. It's it's really bad. And to have a guy like this, who I, I just, I'm just i willing to live with the headaches defensively if they're really that severe. If he's going to give you a little bit of upside offensively, you're going to get to sort of see if, hey, maybe we do have a player for the future. Um, but with him just sitting there, it, it does it does absolutely nothing. Yeah, I I think it's a,
2: it's it's a tough situation uh, for Monk and for the coaching staff for the front office. Uh, I don't think he's ready, um, and I agree with kind of Clifford and the coaching staff's decision there. I think they want him to sit, you know, Clifford specifically, and learn from guys like Carter Williams. And you can laugh all you want about that, but that is the way that Clifford approaches things, especially with rookies. He'll play a rookie. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't understand or buy into this narrative that he just won't play a rookie. No, no, no. He'll play a rookie if a rookie earns his minutes, and, and the rookie's in in there in the offseason, uh, getting stronger, getting shots up, and getting better defensively, all this stuff. I mean, look, Monk missed training camp, right,
1: due to yeah. an injury.
2: Like, you know, ankle injury put him behind schedule, and I don't think he's done enough to—I uh, don't think he's done enough to earn it from there. And look, like, like it or not, that's the way Clifford's going to approach this stuff, and— I don't think as long as the Hornets stay in this playoff hunt, I don't think Malik Monk's going to see minutes. I, I just don't. I think the only way he really realistically sees minutes this season, you know, is if the Hornets find themselves in a situation where they're, you know, in a stealth tank and and they're trying to get him minutes and Kimball less minutes or you know, something like that. So can,
3: uh, you know, can we can we talk about what can we define what being in the playoff hunt means though? Well, I mean, you know, (laughs) beginning, yeah. After Indiana on Monday night, I would have told you
2: I wouldn't have even used that language. But like after winning two straight, and after just like blitzing, you know, the two opponents and having, I mean, look, in the last ten games, the Hornets have the fourth best offensive rating in the league. So like they're doing stuff that a winning team is should be doing, but and they're four games behind the eight seed. So like. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a Consumably. lot of basketball left to be played, and the Hornets have a a bottom ten schedule left in the league. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would consider that the playoff hunt. You know what I mean? I I don't know.
3: Yeah, but I mean, no, you're right. You're I I agree. They are that five thirty eight's given them a twenty six percent chance of making the playoffs. And those last four games have come against the Hawks and the Pacers, who are two woeful defensive teams. But yeah. um, but look, I I agree. They're they're what I was bringing that up to say, like I think they are still technically in the playoff hunt, but like. God, just, man, why?
1: Like, it, yeah. it doesn't uh, matter how, I, how we define it. We know how the front office defines it. Right. We're still in the yeah. playoff hunt until we're mathematically eliminated. So, yeah, we we could say, you know, we're four games out, but the likelihood of us making the playoffs is is probably slimmer than that four-game gap. But uh, the front office will say, no, we're in it. We're in it until we're mathematically eliminated.
2: I, I agree. Yeah, I, that, that's, I think, what the approach is going to be. And And the only thing you know, that hinders it from here is are the Hornets going to make a splash, you know, at the trade deadline. And I mean, as much as they would love to get off Dwight Howard or Nick Batum or Marvin Williams not in a deal possible. that does, right. In a deal that doesn't involve Kimball Walker, like it, it's probably not possible. Correct. So, um, you know, the Malik monk, uh, rumors an interesting one. I mean, I think that could possibly help Charlotte get off a little bit of salary. um, You know, but there's just nothing else out there. I mean, Jeremy Lamb, I think he actually has more value as an expiring next season um, than he would this year. And, you know, so it's the cupboard is pretty bare. There's not much there to deal unless you're going to talk turkey with with Kimba. Um, Real quickly, Marvin Williams rolled his ankle nasty um, left ankle sprain Monday night in Indiana. So uh, Queen City Hoop source yesterday told me that he, within, quote unquote, within a week, Marvin will be back. That was yesterday. So I, just kind of putting my head together, I think the most realistic game would be next Thursday in Portland. The Hornets go to Phoenix Sunday and then they're in Denver the very next day. So I, I don't see a, the back to back, like after flying all the way across country, that Marvin's going to be able to, to get out there and play then. I think after they like you know, get their sea lugs, sea legs under them on the West coast, uh, have a few days off, like maybe Thursday is what I would pinpoint as a return, a possible return for Marvin. Um, and look like Frank's been good in the starting lineup. So I, yeah. you know, I, I don't yeah. think that like Marvin would like come off the bench, but like just something to keep an eye on if it continues. Um, and, certainly. And, yeah.
3: And Graham's uh, given them good minutes as the bat, as like a small ball yeah. backup for too. There, there should be no reason to, to rush Marvin back. Should be noted, too, that Portland game next Thursday, that is February 8th. That's on the day. That, that's the NBA yeah. tra- trade deadline day, too, which is worth yeah. mentioning.
2: Good point. Yeah, that, that, is, uh, that is a really good point there. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, um, our piece yesterday, Brian. Uh, again, QueenCityHoops.com, trade deadline pretty much a primer, I guess is what I would call it. But what Brian and I did was just tackled five questions um, that the Hornets are really facing here at the trade deadline. Uh, And so I'll just kind of reel them off real quick. If you're the GM of the Hornets, would you trade Kimball Walker? Why or why not? Um, Number two, what's the best case scenario for Charlotte at the trade deadline? What's the worst case scenario for Charlotte trade deadline? Um, Feels like there's a good chance the Hornets are active some at this trade deadline I'm on some form, what should be the top priority of the front office? And then what's your prediction on how the trade deadline shakes out for Charlotte? So we cover all of that. on we to hoops.com. We got some pretty good run. I would suggest going over and reading that a little self promo clock, but I, but seriously, I do think it's worth everyone's time to go check that out. Brian, I want to throw it to you real quick. And then Richie, I want you to jump in here and just kind of give us your thoughts from the piece, Brian, what like from that exercise we did, and I said it earlier, I thought it was really good for me. What's the one thing that you realized or what you got out of it the most from like a long-term standpoint when you look at Charlotte's situation?
3: You just it sort of hammers home the point that this guy he's really like not as not only is he the the best at asset this team has, but just the gap between, he is the Kemba is the best asset and the second best asset on the Hornets roster. You know, whatever you deem that to be, it's probably one of their future first round picks. Maybe it's Malik Monk, whatever, or Cody Zeller, MKG, you know, whatever, that gap is huge. Um, If the Hornets are going to shake up this roster at all, at all, you know, move one of these salaries or, or, you know, add a pick. I mean, you could maybe talk yourself into figuring something out with Monk or lamb or whatever, but it ha- the only way they can do it is Kemba. I mean, that's the only way. And you just, if you if you stare at this stuff long enough, you know, and we've talked about this more than enough times on, on the podcast too. But just sitting down and, and writing that out, you're just like, man, the only way. You, you sort of just realize that if they don't trade Kemba before next Thursday, which I, I don't think they will, especially after <laughs> what he did this week. I just don't know if they can do it. But hey, man, this is this is the core. Like, you you, uh, you know, and it's fun to watch them ball out against the Hawks and the Pacers and whatever. But, you know, get used to it because this will be the team again. This will be the same roster again next year and it'll be the core going forward. And you just that point is sort of the, you know, just I don't the future. You're sort of locked into this roster. Because Kemba really is the only trade piece you have. The other thought I did have, though, is if the Hornets are offered a first-round pick plus someone that will take on Batum's contract, I think they got to say yes to it almost no matter what the money is that's coming back. So those are my two sort of general big-picture thoughts about uh, the potential of trading Kemba, which again, like I said in the piece, I don't think is going to happen.
1: No. I mean, there, there was a lot of information uh, in that piece on Queen City Hoops. Uh, I read it yesterday. Uh, it was definitely a very good piece uh, from both of you guys. And I feel like I share some of the same thoughts as you guys. I feel like we're almost like have a, a group think here. We just kind of think the same things when it comes to the Hornets franchise. So I, I don't know if like it's, it, it is a group think or we need to start thinking a little bit differently. But I, I think it, it's logical. Everything that you guys are saying is, yeah. is very logical. And I think my, it might have been Spencer who brought this up. And just like the ceiling for this team with Batum, who's going to be very hard to trade and Kimba is basically what it is right now. You know, I don't think with Kimba and Batum, who's locked in through how long, how long is Batum locked in? 21? 21, 21, yeah. 21, yep. um, all the way to Jeez. 2021. What would it be? What? Like a six seed at highest five seed, maybe. I mean, it yeah. just doesn't seem yep. very promising. And if we did re-sign Kimba for that five-year deal, because we can not offer them him that extra deal, which is great and all. Again, you're still locked into Batum for two of those years. I think is what Spencer kind of brought up. So like that, that to me says everything about the ceiling of this team. And yes, the trading Kimba is, is very unpopular. And the more I watch him play, it's just like God. I can't imagine a team without him and all the memories that we had. Have had with him, but uh it just seems like the logical thing to do. Unless, unless you're just content on being, you know, a six to eight team in the Eastern Conference, which is fine, but that's that shouldn't be the goal.
2: Yeah, no, it it it, correct, Richie. I mean, like, yeah, it shouldn't be the goal. Um, I mean, I think, and I brought this up in the piece. I think you look at a situation like with what Detroit did to get Blake Griffin this past week, like. That was a that was a business decision and not a basketball decision. Like, um, you know, Detroit is 19th in the league or something like that in attendance this year, and they have a brand new arena. And that's like that. The alarms are going off everywhere when that's the case. Like, you should be top 10 in attendance with a brand new freaking arena, and they haven't even been that bad. Like for the majority of the season, they've been a, a better than 500 team. So like, they needed to do something to you know, they need to get the turnstiles moving there. Like, they got to get butts and seats. It's a small market that has to get creative in ways to turn some kind of revenue or at least not be in the red to a point where, like, <laughs> they're talking about moving the team out of the city. You know, so, um, you know, in Charlotte, so, like, take that example and look at Charlotte's situation. Like, that's where they are with Kimba, all right? That, like, can Michael Jordan swallow the pill of trading Kimba Walker knowing that for the next three, four, five seasons, like, it's going to be financially, it's going to be rough. I mean, it's going to be really rough, and you're going to have to be cheap at at every single corner. And you know what? Like, that's life. But, Brian, you brought it up with the Sixers. Like, they were able to take one of the worst teams over a three-year period, four-year period in league history and turn it into, like, a a super successful marketing ploy. You know, yep. trust the process. Everybody knows that now. Not even even people that don't know anything about the NBA know what trust the process is. Yep. So, like it you know, there's different ways to think about it. If the Hornets traded Kimball Walker, other marketing opportunities are gonna come. You can't see them yet. You can't like put your you know, they're not tangible. You can't put your hands around them like you can Kimball Walker, but they will be there. And and the thought that if the team trades Kimball Walker that fans are gonna turn their back and never Ever pay any attention to the Hornets again is so injudicious and yeah. and and just so it's terrible logic. It's stupid, short sighted. I shouldn't say stupid. It, it's short sighted. It's not really a, a, a wise and a responsible thought exercise. That's just like saying I don't want my best player to leave. That's all that's saying.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. It- and, yeah. And
2: and the last thing I want to say, and I'll throw it to you, Brian. I know you want to say something. With this team, and Richie was just talking about, like the ceiling is low. Like This team maxed out the potential. Yeah, you, I think you're right, Richie, like a five seed at best. Maybe the East gets a little weaker. You can get in the top four, whatever. Um, you're staring next summer. You're staring at Kimball Walker. You're meeting with him, and you're talking about a five-year, $177 million contract to that guy that's going to be 33 years old in the last year, That maybe 34, I can't remember off the top of my head, um, he would probably take that. Cause I do believe he likes being in Charlotte that much, mm-hmm. but you do that. Like there is literally no way to create flex- flexibility. There already really isn't a way, but you give him that deal. And then Nick, Batum's deal runs almost halfway through that extension for Kimba. Like that's, that is it. So how are, so like financially speaking, how are you gonna do that much better than you're doing right now if you're Michael Jordan and you're the Charlotte Hornets management? Right? Like like where's the way up? There, there is, is no none. way up. There's right? no So like you gotta make the tough decision. I mean, we're not proponents of like blowing it up and just being these trust the process kind of guys. That that's not I don't think that's what I stand for, or Brian stands for, or Richie stands for, but like we've reached a point to like where there is no other way. The Hornets are backed into a corner here.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And, like, look, here's also the reality of the Eastern Conference for the next handful of seasons. Boston's going to always be good. Milwaukee's on the come up with Giannis. you got another – I mean, Philadelphia. Who knows what Simmons and Embiid look like uh, in a couple of years? I mean, th- these look like they're going to be great teams, assuming there's good health for the <laughs> for the next five to ten years. And if you're the Hornets, you're just sort of – like Richie said, and it was, he, he did a great job laying it out. You're sort of locking yourself into – Forty whatever wins in the fifth seed or the sixth seed at best, and you get the gates. You know, you get a couple home playoff games, and you know, you probably get swept or lose in five or six games to it. Just that's the reality. And if that's what you're cool with, and, and I think to some extent, there's almost some level of of um, there's something I, I, don't, I don't even think I think that almost is deserving of some level of respect to say, you know, hey, well, look, we're an entertainment vehicle. We want to be competitive and fun. This is what we're going for. That's fine. I get that. To the people that say they'll they'll bail on the team if they trade Kemba, you might go away. You, you know, you might you may not want to watch this team play all that often. But rest assured, if they get good, you're going to be the first one back buying mature buying merchandise, watching games on TV, buying tickets. You're going to be every people love to see winners. So if the, if you if they did strip down which I, I mean, I don't, I don't think any of us think that's going to happen this season. But if they did do that, and if they did it the right way, if they were patient, and if they got lucky, because clearly the 76ers got lucky too. But if the team gets good, you'll come running back. And look, it, there oh, are Hey, cost- Brian, yeah. real, real quickly, these are, the same, these are the same fans
2: that are saying these things are the same fans that are a member of the fan base that is 24th in attendance in the NBA this season. Yeah. So, so what? What exists right now that's so great that we're
3: giving up? Yeah. Right. <laughs> not. I, I. don't know. To be totally honest with you. And. Um. Yeah. You know. You just look at what Philadelphia did. And and I'm not like advocating for it because they 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 went pretty extreme in in the rebuild process. But. Dude, they've got Simmons and Embiid. Those guys are Hall of Famers. Dario Saric is an All Star player eventually. And they've still got all these picks, and they can still add more picks because they're still a salary dumping ground, too. And and they were able to find Bob Covington in this process and D.J. McConnell, all these, and uh, Holmes, too, all these fringe players that they got undrafted in the second round. And you just see that, and you're like, man, that's an example of a team that was committed to a rebuild. They knew it was going to be painful, and they went about it in a pretty extreme fashion, but look what it got them. I mean, you want to talk about changing the course of a franchise because with Doug Collins in the in the early, you know, 2010, 2013 in that window, this team was locked into a similar voice that the Hornets are now mid 40 wins, six seed, eight seed, um, you know, maybe you win a playoff series, but probably not. And that that was it. Like that was the deal. And they decided to strip down and rebuild and it stunk and people made fun of them. There were countless think pieces written about them and why this was wrong and why this was bad and yada, yada, yada. And look what it got them now. I mean, yeah. look at that team, and and, um, and it's just yeah. it's amazing to see. And Brian, we can even put it in ways that
2: Hornets fans can understand very, very tangibly. Like, the Charlotte has also done that exact process. They did it. Yeah. I mean, they had historically, statistically speaking, the worst season in NBA history. <laughs> like, they, they've been there. They've done it. All right, and and guess what it did. It hurt at the time, and it was a laughing stock at the time. But damn it, it brought this city, Al Jefferson, its first mm-hmm. all star. In a, in a, in a, well, Jerry Wallace is an all star, but it brought us Al Jefferson. I mean, all that NBA. guy, seemed like the All NBA. That's right, third team mm-hmm. All NBA. And then it brought us a 48 win team, which, gosh, it wasn't for a stupid. You know Al Jefferson's injury, Nick Batum's injury. Like that team could have beat Miami in the first round. Like, look, we tore it all down to build something, and and Charlotte did build something. MJ did, Rich Cho did. Like, let's not pretend they didn't. And, and but it's reached its breaking point, right? Like we're at the boiling point, and that's okay. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's this is all a failure. It just means that like that happened in 2010, and here we are in 2000, and, you know, in 18. All right, We're almost at a decade of, of the rebuilding process that has now kind of reached the, the ceiling of, of, of mm-hmm. how good it can be. And it's OK to say, all right, let's start over. Let's try this thing again. Like we took a step in the right direction. Let's not forget that. Right. Like Just because the Charlotte Hornets, Charlotte, North Carolina, wasn't able to build a championship contender. All right. In the rebuild process. But they did. They did build what an expectation a fan expectation would say a playoff team. Well that's a step in the right direction, right? Yeah. And now mm-hmm. you just gotta you gotta press reset again or at least press a mini reset. There's nothing wrong with that. And I, I guess that's just what I like beg fans to look at. Just look at our history. Look at where we came from. Look at the the cars that are stacked against us. Right? These are the tough business decisions that have to be made and we all love Kimball Walker. And we'll always all love Kimba Walker. But like he is the key to freedom right now for me.
3: And let's so. not forget, too, they drafted some good players in this rebuild process too, including Kemba, uh, including Cody Zeller, including MKG. Look, they 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 got a, a number two pick out of this, they got a number three pick out of this, and you never you know, it's like they you do that again, and maybe you with a little bit more luck, you, you hit on two future all-stars. And we I mean we like Cody and MKG a lot. They're they're good players, but Maybe you find guys with with slightly higher ceilings or whatever too, and i get i totally i get the vibe with the fan base that some people they're a little distrustful when it comes to drafting players, and they've certainly had issues, but I just don't think that's a reason to not to to not try it again basically, um which is sort of what i was i'm not I wasn't even saying that you know hey, this is what I want to happen or or this is what I should all I'm saying is. If you're using the logic of, well, Frank Kaminsky didn't work out and we traded the 2016 first round pick for Bellinelli so we could still sort of win now and Malik Monk's not playing and Noah Von Lace, you know, in Portland, you can't use that to say, well, we can never, ever rebuild ever again. Like, because this didn't work out perfectly, we can't rebuild again. Like, that logic is, I I can understand the unease that the fan base has when it comes to draft night with his team. But that doesn't mean you don't consider rebuilding through the draft again when that's empirically proven to be the best way to get a franchise player when you're in a small market like Charlotte.
2: Agreed. Um, good stuff there, uh, Brian. I'm, I'm glad we got to do that piece, and I'm Glad that it seems that a lot of fans were able to get something from it and, and, and look at this thing, take a step
3: back and really look at this thing from a bird's eye view well, uh, well I just throw this in yeah. richie what would you what would you what would you do when it comes to Kemba about the deadline here
1: well I, I think I've stated it before I think I definitely would would look for options to get a uh, a you know a first round pick and hopefully yeah. maybe even a young player also as well. Um, I just, again, I think that's just a logical thing to do, but in my mind, I, you know, we've discussed this, I think it's like a 25% chance that it actually happens that we trade the Kimba. So in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, how are we going to move forward with Kimba on this roster? It's just, again, there's that ceiling that we talk about, but, uh, I I would definitely, definitely seek out trade options with with Kimba, but I know that's not going to happen.
2: Yeah, probably not. I mean, kind of just quickly transitioning the Hornets, are going to have to make some kind of move financially here in the net, you know, before next season. Um, because as, as of right now, the tax is looking like it's, we won't know until July, but it's looking like it's going to land somewhere in the one twenty two range million. And once you tack on the Hornets, um, first round draft pick onto the books from this season. And then also they're going to have to fill the backup point guard role somewhere. Again, they're going to have to use an exception. Like they're going to be, they're going to be over that number. Um, really no matter how you slice it, if you know, there's no moves at the deadline now or before the draft in June, they got 10 guaranteed, ten guaranteed contracts on the books right now. Again, once you tack on that first round pick and then some minimum deals to get to 14 roster spots and then a backup point guard, like, you're most likely over the tax. So a trade is coming for sure for the Hornets in the next 12 months because Michael Jordan is not paying the tax. Um, and it will it come at this trade deadline in the form of a big contract? Will it come you know, prior to June's draft? Um, I don't know, but do there's you, something coming.
3: Do you guys think the Hornets are going to lose Trevi and Graham this offseason? They can't. They, they, there's no way. There's no way they can bring him back. I mean, there's
2: I unless you, yeah. I mean, you got to like, you got to make a decision with yeah. like Jeremy Lamb or Travion Graham. Like, if you're really prioritizing Travion Graham, then you got to trade Lamb now. Um, and you got to pretty much give Travion, you know, something along that contract that you gave Lamb, you know, probably a little less, but uh,
3: but you, you can't have them both. There's just no way it financially works, yeah that that's 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 tough i mean i'll be i'm happy that graham has likely earned himself a little payday by somebody he's he's totally deserved it but it would stink to see that guy go somewhere else and be a great backup combo forward for another franchise when you know clifford's sort of the one that brought him in and groomed him and stuff like that but that's the cost of doing business in the nba
1: he'd be perfect for the rebuild but if we're not going that direction i don't see them totally i don't see them like you know picking up you know him and trying to extend them or whatever yeah yeah
2: yeah, I, I agree. And and so Graham, you know, he would be a restricted free agent. So the Hornets would have rights on him. Um, yeah. I mean, when you're up against the tax rights and, and exceptions and all that yeah. stuff great. Like you can build the team that way. But like if if you're unwilling to pay the tax then it's really a moot point at that at that stage, um, you know, another thought real quickly another way to think about Michael Carter Williams, getting a lot of playing time, important playing time here recently, just when you think it should be trending in the other direction is that the Hornets actually might have to keep they they, they literally might be the only team in the league that's willing to give that guy a chance because they can get him in a minimum deal next year. Like, yeah. cause that's probably all they're going to be able to afford to spend on a backup point guard. Like the Hornets might not even be able to afford their own mid-level exception this summer. Yeah and not even like a portion of it like they might have to just bring be like look MCW you have no other home in the NBA but we'll bring you back on a minimum deal because that's all we can afford so like yeah. that's it maybe it's that's why he's getting some of these minutes like it is so important if the hornets want to stay competitive with this group they have to develop the homegrown talent right now like that's the only way to get better they can't bring new
3: players in in this, they're not going to do this. And I would need to check on the dates, as opposed to when, when in fact you can you can uh, use this use this provision. But uh, and and it would maybe be it maybe would be too late by this point in the summer. I would need to look at it again. But you know, you could I guess consider stretching Dwight using the stretch provision on Dwight. Including, but I mean they're not going they're not going to do that. But that would be the one way to maybe give yourself a little bit of relief in the short term because he's owed. You know, close to twenty four million dollars next season. That's the last year on the contract. Again, I would need to look at uh, you know the you know, Larry Coon CBA uh, breakdown to see if that's something that they can in fact do. But um, that would be one way you could maybe unlock a little bit of short term. I mean, you' still got to pay them all the money, but you could stretch it out over a couple of years. but I don't think they're going to go that route
1: before we wrap just kind of talking about all this you know these conversations that we're having about next year's offseason and stuff like that just kind of makes me depressed and, and thinking like you know there's no way out of this besides you know kind of blowing this team up so yeah yeah it's it's kind of depressing to, to think about to talk about because there's not really much flexibility here especially considering mj's uh spending history he's not going to go into the tax
3: right and he shouldn't on this car i mean no. you shouldn't do it on this current roster um but yeah, I mean, that's the deal that you, like you just said, Richie, unless they trade Kemba, this is the team and they're going to have to sit out free agency for a second straight year. And, you know, if I'm the Hornets, I, I'm really considering some
2: kind of salary. Don't move at this trade deadline because the price might be a little bit lower and you might have value, more value in a guy like Jeremy Lamb or even Marvin Williams having a good season. Then you're going to be able to extract next year, this time next year where if you're looking at the exact same financial situation, the same guys on the books, like there's going to be so much desperation coming out of the front office in Charlotte. Like it's really going to cost you to get off one of these contracts. And at that point, you know, that's, oh man, that hurts. Like to, to sacrifice future flexibility to just barely get under the tax with what will probably be a 25 win team this time next year too. You know, that's just like so depressing. So, That's why I really think if you're the Hornets, like you need to find a way somehow. I don't know. Like maybe the Malik Mugway is the deal, but like maybe Jay Lamb, maybe Jay. Yeah. 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 yeah, Jeremy Lamb, you know, for some reason, there's just not much chatter out there about him. But, uh, but yeah, I I think this trade deadline, like you need to move something. If I'm the Hornets, you really do. So don't have to, but you're going to have to by this time next year. All right, guys.
3: Um, good stuff. I think we covered a lot. Anything else that you guys want to touch on before we get out of here? Nope, I think we're at it. Just that I think that Lamb trade option should be explored more because it could also free up more minutes for Graham and, and Monk. I wouldn't want to see Jay J. Lamb go, but if you could get a first-round pick for that guy, you got to flip this dude. You have to do it, but it doesn't seem like that's a possibility. Yeah. All right, very
2: good, Richie. It's great to have you back, my friend. Um, this always runs smoothly when you're here. I think this is a good show. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I still have no idea how Brian and I pulled that off last week, whatever it was that we did, but (laughs) we did something. All right, guys. Well, do not forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. Um, Check out almightyballer.com for plenty of more NBA content in the form of podcasts, lots of good stuff there, and our friends over at Sports Channel 8. Give them a follow on Twitter at Sports Channel 8, and check them out uh, at sportschannel8.com. I am Spencer... That is Richie. That is Brian. Until next week, go Hornets.
4: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance.